Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here for a special edition of Ye Old Church Planner Podcast. It's not old, man. I keep telling you. It's the new Church Planner Podcast. (laughs) And we are here at Exponential, and I am sweating in places that I did not know sweated. You have sweat glands in your creases, man. (laughs) Really do. You really do. You need them. Some lubrication. I got a funk to me right now that's almost impossible to get rid of. Which uh, leads me into our guest, which we have to apologize to, because not only is he wondering what in the heck kind of podcast is this, but he's wondering why Pete smells so bad. And uh, so, hey, Vince Antonucci, it is good to have you on the podcast. This has actually been a long time coming. The people at Exponential uh, told me ages ago that you were a brother from another mother. So uh, good to have you on, man. I'm excited to be here. Honored to be with you guys. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your story, man, because yep. uh, you have a passion for reaching marginalized people, and uh, I know there's a story behind that somewhere. Sure. Yeah, my, uh, my mother is Jewish. My father was a professional poker player in Las Vegas. He was a con man. He uh, spent his adult life in and out of jail, ended up in America's Most Wanted. I got that going for me. Uh, now, you would think with a name like Antonucci, how could that happen? Right, yeah. <laughs> People and, uh, ever recognize you and go, "Hey, wasn't your dad on that show?" Um, I got when I got I got hired at a church out of an internship, and the day before I think I was supposed to move there, the pastor of that church called and said, "Hey, are you watching America's Most Wanted right now?" And I said, "No." He goes, <laughs> uh, "I think it's your dad who's on." So he's been on uh, Sports Center and Sports Stories about him in Sports Illustrated. He had, did had a lot to do with sports world and embezzled money and things like that. So. Um, so, yeah, that's fun. I'm just going to come in because we have something in, con- in common. My dad also was on America's Most Wanted, but only as an actor. Nice. <laughs> you know, when they do the dramatization, <laughs> yeah. he was on it. So right. we have something in common. You but, you know, right. of course, my dad is dead. And, you know, yours uh, went to jail. So Yeah, mine's dead, too. 
Um, so uh, mother's Jewish, father was that, and so they did not take me to church ever. Never went to church one single time growing up. Uh, but not only that, I never had a single person mention God to me, talk to me about Jesus, invite me to church. Like growing up, I literally never heard about Jesus. The only time I think I ever heard the word Jesus was as a curse word. And um, didn't know anything about God, Jesus, Christianity, the Bible, didn't care. Um, when I was uh, 20 years old, it was the Easter morning of my sophomore year in college. I was supposed to go out to lunch with my girlfriend. She was late. And I turned on the, the TV in my dorm room. We had three channels, and every channel had on what I consider to be just a dumb religious show. And uh, so I was going to turn the TV off, but the last channel I flipped to was this guy sitting in this big red leather overstuffed chair, almost similar to the chair I'm sitting in right now. That's how we roll. Uh, yes. a, we're right down the road from uh, Holy Land Bible yes. theme park. The Holy Land yes. experience. And uh, this room, we're at First Baptist in Orlando. This room does actually look like something out of TBN, doesn't it? It does. It kind of does. It does. And so, The old ladies have been here decorating. Uh, I'm oh, guessing. Yes. So uh, he's sitting in this chair, and I left on him because he looked funny. And he, uh, he said, now. Uh, we've been talking about the last week of Jesus Christ's life, and today we're going to talk about, and then he named something I don't remember because something from Jesus' life just went right over my head. He said, now, most scholars believe that this event happened on the Tuesday of Jesus last week. But today I will prove to you through the evidence that it actually occurred on the Wednesday of Jesus last week. First thing I ever heard about Jesus. And I thought about it and thought, yeah, that is the stupidest thing I ever heard. I mean, I don't know if this Jesus guy even really existed, but if he did... It was thousands of years ago, and you're talking about Tuesday or Wednesday. Seriously. Right. Yeah. Turn out the TV and discuss, knock on the door, went up to lunch. Uh, but for the rest of the day, I could not stop thinking about that guy and what he said. I, I was a pre-law major. I went to law school, and um, and I just uh, – the word evidence. I was like, what kind of evidence would there possibly be for something that happened thousands of years ago? What, what, like, what was he talking about? And so that night, I was sitting in my girlfriend's dorm room, and I noticed that she had a Bible on her bookshelf. And I, I don't know if I'd ever noticed it before, but – Never thought about it. And, and I said, um, why do you have a Bible? And she said, oh, man, somebody gave that to me years ago as a present. I've never even opened it. And I was like, can I borrow it? Like, I want to check it out. And she said, I don't want it. Like, if you don't want it, don't give it back to me. Just throw it out. And so I took the Bible back to my dorm room. And um, to keep the story relatively short, uh, I spent the next months, well, I started reading the Bible and realize that the Bible gives times and places repeatedly uh, for things, and which made me go, oh, you could prove that this happened or not. I, I thought it was going to start once upon a time. You know, there lived a man named Jesus. Mm -hmm. But as I read about Jesus, he said, in this town, in this place, Jesus is this thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought, man, there would be evidence. You could find out, like, did other historians from that time and place talk about it? And if not, throw out the Bible, because if somebody comes and does these amazing things, it's not going to be just, you know, the Bible that records it. And so then I was intrigued, and so I kept reading just to find out what the Bible said, and I learned for the first time in my life that the Bible claimed that there was a God who loved me and wanted to have a relationship with me and sent his son to live for me and to die for me so I could have a relationship with him and so I could go to heaven, and I knew I had to know if it was true or not, and that I could prove it like there, because they gave times and places, and if it was true, I would become a Christian, and if it wasn't true, I would spend the rest of my life making fun of Christians for believing in something that I could prove was false. And... um after I, I so I, I'm a very very intense person, and so I started reading the Bible and trying to go to the, to the library to find evidence to disprove it. Six, eight, ten hours, twelve hours a day, every single day for months. And after months of that, 
I had discovered volumes of evidence that proved that it was true. And I was just absolutely amazed by Jesus. Hmm. I was like, this is the coolest person. I mean, that's not good enough words, but I was like, man, this guy is real. And Hmm. I don't want to live a life that doesn't have him at the center of it. That's awesome. And so I, uh, Gave my life to Jesus, became a Christian, went down and visited my father uh, who had just gotten out of jail. And he was the first person I told him. I said, hey, I don't think you'll care, but I've decided I'm like a Christian now. And he was like, who have you been talking to? And I said, nobody. I don't think I've ever met a Christian. And he said, um, he's like, there was a minister in the jail like who would come and do Bible studies. He gave me his card. Do you want to meet him? And I was like, yeah. And so I met that guy, got baptized the next day. Uh, he gave me a church to go to when I went back to college. And... Um, started going to college i was thrilled like to have this new relationship with god and i was absolutely angry at christians for for like i'm like how is it possible that i've lived in america not like in you know some jungle in africa for 20 years and no one ever mentioned jesus to me and so the way i i say it trying to be funny is that i say i i had a dorm room uh meeting in my dorm room and i invited every christian i knew so it was me. I was the only person who showed up. And I said, hey, apparently sometime in the last 2,000 years, people stopped uh, listening to Jesus where he says to go and share this good news with everybody because nobody told me. So I assume no one's telling anybody. And so somebody's got to do it. Let's elect somebody. And I was the only one there. So somehow I got elected. And so I just gave the rest of my life to, to making sure people know about Jesus and especially people who no one else is telling. And as I've learned, okay, there are churches there are churches that are reaching some people they tend to reach kind of the the lowest hanging fruit you know if if they reach anybody who's not a christian it's somebody probably who grew up in church and knows they should be in church but it's been a few years and they've got kids now we should get our kids in church and so they reach the people who are the easiest to reach and there's just a ton of people who churches either feel like they can't reach or they don't want to reach and it's too big a challenge to reach and so they're not trying and so i've given my life to trying to reach them Awesome, man. It's kind of my story. So tell me, you got Splagna now. Am I yeah. saying that right? Yep. Yeah. Because that's a very Italian-sounding word, Splagna. It's not. And, uh, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. But, but and it, it does, the symbol does look a little bit like a spaghetti splotch. I'm just mm. saying. Yeah, I think your Italian roots are coming through, but I'm just... <laughs> that's right. Now, tell us about Splagna. It's a yeah. really cool uh, ministry, Thanks. really great idea, really Thanks. good thrust, man. Well, I started, I started a church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and was there for 12 years, and... Um, Saw all kinds of cool things happening, and we reached uh, drug dealers and crack whores and um, transvestites and you name it. And uh, and then God called us out. We started a church in Las Vegas, um, moved there five years ago. And I called all the people I knew in Las Vegas. I knew like three or four pastors and said, hey, I'm coming out to Las Vegas. You cool with that? And whatever they said, I'm just going to come. But they were like, yeah, man, we need more churches. 5% of our 2 million people go to church. We have 1.8 or 9 million people who don't go to church. I'm like, awesome. Like, I'm coming. They're like, great, man. You'll do great. We'll help you. And they said, where are you going to start a church? And I said, like, on the strip or, like, right around the strip. And they said, dude, no. Like, go out in the suburbs. Suburbs is where, like, families live, where, like, people are trying to live normal lives, you know, in Sin City. Uh, People are more open to faith and church. And you go to the suburbs, you'll do great. Uh, if you go down to the strip or anywhere around there, uh, one guy says career suicide. I'm like, well, it's good. I don't have a career. Yeah, <laughs> I have a calling. So I, I can kill my career. That's fine. Um, and uh, one guy said, uh, if you if you give the next 50 years of your life there, you won't reach 500 people. And another guy said, 500 people, you won't reach 50. And then another guy said, you won't have your first Sunday. Like you won't be able to establish a church anywhere on or around the strip. And uh, we did it anyway because that's what God called us to do. And uh, the first person we led to Christ was a pimp. 
Um, we've seen That's gang, awesome. Yeah, it, it was pretty That's awesome. quotable. That's like tweetable. You know, the <laughs> yeah. first person we led to Christ was a t- was a pimp. Yeah, we. You know, if, when I moved there, if you said, "Do you think you'll ever reach a pimp?" I would have been like, "I doubt it," but that'd be awesome. Yeah. And it was the first person we baptized. Um, Did he have a cool pimp name though? No, <laughs> he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't like <laughs> swaggy. Yeah, um, yeah. no, high heel, aquarium fish shoes. Yeah. You know? um, and we've reached gang members and just. Tons of atheists and strippers and prostitutes and you name it. Uh, homeless people, uh, pit bosses in casinos. Mm. Um, and so uh, it's interesting. In our five-mile radius, there are 270,000 residents. And that's the same exact population as the entire city of Lexington, Kentucky, and of St. Paul, Minnesota. And there are about 450 churches in Lexington, about 650 in St. Paul, and our five-mile radius is 11 churches mm. for the same population. And the reason is because we're right around the Strip. We're just south of yeah. the Strip. And what? And so I started, I was like, whoa. And so I started studying the world, and as best as I'm able to with my, you know, this thing I've got called the Internet. Um, and so I use this Google crazy thing. But Thank you, um, thank you Al Gore. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Al Gore. <laughs> but, uh, it, but, uh, what I've realized is wherever sin abounds, the church retreats all the more. Mm. You know, that, that churches are planted where in the suburbs where there's that low hanging yeah. fruit and where yeah. there's lots of houses going up and babies being born and people are thinking money. about church and, and money. Yeah. Money. And, and, there, and those places need churches too. That, so, I mean, that's, that's a fine thing. But the problem is that we stop there. Yeah. And it's like, like, why, why had no one started a church where we started a church? And, um, and then so I, I've looked like, is there a church on or around Bourbon Street? No. Is there a church on or around the Sunset Strip in L.A.? Nope. Is there a church, you know, what, what kind of churches are there in Am- in the Red Lake District of Amsterdam? Just looking at, like, the kind of sin centers mm-hmm. of the world. And it's like, man, there are few, if any, churches in those places. And usually if there are churches, they're, you know, 150-year-old denominational yeah. churches that are more museums today than than active communities of faith. And so Splagna is our, um, has been our vision since before we started Verb. When we started realizing all this is like, man, we can't just start this church. It'd be irresponsible to just start a church for the people who live and work around the Las Vegas Strip. We need to do something about all these places in the world that don't have churches. Right. And so we are hoping to inspire, equip, and resource church planners who want to go to the most sinful places and reach the most cynical people. How have you found uh, is the best way to reach the people on the strip, the marginalized, the prostitutes? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, it sounds too simplistic, but the thing that we always talk about is lead with love. That, you know, what every person needs is they need love and they need truth. And what Christians have to offer is love and truth. That's great. It's a great match. Uh, the problem is that Christians tend to lead with truth. That you know, we meet mm-hmm. people, and we want to share the truth with them. We want to, uh, we see their problems, and we want to apply truth to their problems because truth is what will set them free. That's right. Uh, but people are not open to truth unless they've been loved. And you mm-hmm. know, I, I always say people want to hear truth; they just don't want to hear it from a jerk. And so, until you just love people really, really well, and yeah. let them know that there is zero chance you're going to be judged here, that we will accept you exactly for who you are and where you're at, and then we're just going to slowly, patiently, and lovingly walk with you awesome. to where you need to go. And so, as simple as that sounds, just l- loving people till it hurts, you know, just loving and loving and loving. And what we found is, man, and I think this is what Jesus knew is is that love is what changes a life. That 
often people don't even really, you don't even really need to get to the truth part. That's, there's something about being loved by God and loved by people that people change, their lives start transforming and they make the decisions that they should have been making all along without you even telling them. Mm. And so I mean, we've just got tons of people who are like, they're living together and then they come and say, man, we want to get married. We shouldn't be living together anymore. It's like, who told you? Like, cause we've just been loving you. And they're like, I don't know. We just know it, you know, and just, and tons of people just changing their lives without us even having to address this yeah. in their lives just because they're loved. It's like the Holy Spirit were real or something. Yeah. It's like the whole, it's like weird. Jesus can draw people to himself and the Holy Spirit can sanctify people. So, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, so, uh, starting the church on the strip now, what did that look like? How did, how did you, I mean, what, where did you start, man? What did you do? I started by doing stand up comedy on the strip. Um, <laughs> I moved, That's awesome. Yeah, I moved to Las Vegas, and um, we had been successful in Virginia Beach. Our church had grown, you know, we saw like a thousand people come to Christ and get baptized in 12 years, and I don't know what successful was, but we, we saw a lot happen, and I realized I thought that was my greatest barrier to, I hate the word success, but the success in Las Vegas, because I'm like, I know how to start a church in, in Virginia Beach for people who live there. I have no idea how to start a church in Las Vegas for the people who live and work there, and so... I want to reach people who work and live around the strip. And so I said, I've got to feel that. And I thought about like getting a job, but, um, it was just like, man, I want, I want to pour myself into playing this church and evangelizing, discipling people. And so I thought, what could I do that would give me the feel of like, okay, I'm, I, I feel what it's like to, to be the people I'm trying to reach. And so somehow I got the idea of doing comedy. So I started going to open my comedy nights and just building relationships with people there and just feeling like, what does it feel like to drive down to the strip at eight o'clock at night and be down there until, you know, 11 o'clock at night because you're, because you're performing. And then I got a, a call from somebody who had seen me at an open mic comedy night and said, Hey, we're doing tryouts for our show, like a real professional show. And would you try out? And I went and I thought it was gonna be like, you know, a couple of us. And it was 30 or 40 people from some of them had flown in from around the country. And they said, hey, we're hiring three people. And it was like American Idol kind of thing. They, we, Everybody went up and did five minutes in front of a panel of people who were judging you. And they chose three of us. And I got chosen. And, right on. Um, it, it's a pretty lame comedy show. You shouldn't be too impressed. <laughs> it was like everybody was there is because they got comped. It was free tickets yeah, and stuff. Cool. But, um, but I got in this comedy show and made friends there. And um, there was about 12 comedians in it. And so that's the first thing I did. We met with like... I know it was over 300 people. Uh, we just started meeting with, you know, uh, we met with, man, tons of casino vice presidents, casino human resource directors, um, blackjack dealers and poker dealers. We just took everybody we could out to Starbucks or breakfast or lunch and just said, what is, what is your life like? Like, what is it like to live here? We started serving. Um, there's a, a first Friday. Uh, I think a lot of cities do this, but like an art festival on the first Friday of every month and we went to the organizers of that our little very little very ragtag group at first and said hey how can we volunteer and they said we you know we're over budget and like well we don't want to get paid we just want to volunteer and they said oh and so we started volunteering at that and we adopted a school in one of the three worst neighborhoods in America. They actually have a list that comes out every year, the 10 worst neighborhoods in America. And we adopted a school that's on Crack Alley in Las Vegas. That's mm-hmm. what it's called. It's like, where, that's where you go to buy crack. And these kids have to grow up and, and go to school on that street. In the school, um, 100% of the cool kids are on free or reduced lunches and 80% don't speak English the first day they show up at school. And so we adopted that school, started volunteering and serving there. This Saturday, like, Today's Wednesday, like three days from now, I guess that would be. Uh, we're doing a uh, block party in a park on Crack Alley. 
Um, so we had to start, we, we lived there for a year and three months before we had any kind of a church service. So we just tried right. to be a part of the community, serve the community. We, we, we felt like we don't have, we have not earned the right to be heard yet. And so we're not going to speak to a city that we haven't served. And so we just try to love people, build relationships, serve people. Awesome. Yeah. What's the name of the church here? Uh, Verve, V-E-R-V-E, Verve, okay. which uh, means enthusiastic, passionate life. It's, uh, the other definition you'll see in the dictionary is life that inspires art. And so we want a name that made people ask questions. Like I want a name that when I said, yeah, our church is called Verve. Um, or if people in our church say, yeah, I go to Verve, people say, what's that? And then, or what does that mean? And get to talk about, man, and, you know, in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come to bring life and have it to the full. And the word Verve means enthusiastic, passionate life, you know. There's a lot of people who are living and are not experiencing life. And, you know, God has that for you. It's a rough transition from people that are in the sex trade to get out. I mean, we've seen... A uh, few, a handful of people from just Long Beach. Um, there was one lady that uh, left the sex trade um, early on in our first year and uh, needed to rent money and turned a few tricks to get it. And it was, it was hard, man. And and we've noticed people that 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 is a very hard. What have you found dealing with pimps, prostitutes? is uh, kind of the, the, the key, the step up for anyone who's dealing with that. Because people will come. We, we had a transgender prostitute come not too long ago and say, help me get out of the sex trade. Yeah, it is tough. Um, the thing that happens, I don't know if it's because of Las Vegas, but the thing that tends to happen with us, which is there's something good about it and something sad about it, but it tends to be that when people, especially people like in that industry, when um, when they come to faith and want to turn their lives around, they leave. They like move out of Las yeah. Vegas and they yeah. go back home. Most of them came to Las Vegas just for that purpose of like, mm. that's where I can make money. That's where I can mm. pimp, prostitute, strip, whatever. And so honestly, we, we have people in our church who, who have stayed. But when people, when people from that industry, the main thing that happens is they come and they say, hey, guys, I got to go. Like yeah. you, you've led me to a place where I don't want to live this life anymore. I'm going back home yeah. because the temptations are too strong for me here there's nothing for me here other you know that was the reason i came so the main thing that happens is people leave um but other than that uh yeah the hard part is for a lot of them it's like man well a lot of strippers and and mm -hmm. people don't make good money so i think that you know the the stereotype is like oh they're getting rich a lot of them it's like a lot of them are not pretty <laughs> they're not you know yeah. they're, they're not what you see on tv it's like really like you know and and they're not making a lot of money but some of them do make decent money and most of them don't have any job offer to make anywhere near the kind of money even if they're not making a lot so there are a lot of questions and struggles we are helping to um, start a ministry called refuge for women uh, it's a ministry that is in lexington kentucky and they uh, uh are, we're partnering with them and other church partner with them in Las Vegas to establish there. Mm. And they bring in girls who want to get out of porn, stripping, prostitution. Awesome. And you live, they, you live there for free for a year. And it's really just like a discipleship home. Like you, like it's people who decide, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. And they have like eight or 10 girls live there for a year. And, um, you just learn to live in the way of Jesus. And so that's a really mm. cool alternative that we have to offer people. It's awesome. Well, it's Splagna. Is it Splagna.com? Splagna.com, yep. All right. And what do you offer? Because we got to let you go here. I know you're getting ready to speak. Um, what what do you what does Splagna offer? Give us a breakdown of if people go there and they right. want to get in touch with you. What what can you do for them? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. We, we've been doing a conference for, I think, 
four four years now, so this will be a fifth. Um, called Vault, and the idea is kind of like, hey, we're going to bring you into the vault, let you see and experience what we do, and then kind of vault you out. I don't know. Um, so <laughs> it, it, it starts with a V. We have a lot of V words. We're trying to use all of them. But, um, Vince. <laughs> Vince, Verve. Our, our, we offer courses called Verge, Verse, and Verb. We, we've kind of monopolized V awesome. words. So, uh, but um, the, the conference, uh, there are a lot of great conferences. This conference we're at right now is an awesome one. Um, but there's a couple of unique things about it. All we talk about is reaching people who are radically far from God. There's not and, and reaching and discipling people who are messy non Christians who are not interested in God and don't want to go to church. That's all we talk about. And so, if that's your thing, you will love this conference. Mm. And we limit it to about a hundred people. And so um, we do we do that on purpose because there's just a dynamic. So like when the speaker walks off the stage, you can go up and talk to him. Like most yeah. conferences, like eh, I wish I could ask that guy questions, but there's five thousand people here, yeah, right. and everybody gets to know each other. You leave going, wow, I think I I got to know seventy of the hundred people, and you build relationships. So uh, that's every October, and it's vaultconference.com, vaultconference.com. So we offer conference. Um, what we're doing, and so Splagna is just starting, but our um, our hope is that if we find the right person, and that's a big that's a big thing because not everybody can start a church, and not everybody can start a church in a really difficult mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. And so you need to have the right passion and some of the right experience and gifts. But what we want to do is bring people in, let them do kind of a residency kind of thing because there's just things you're going to deal with yeah. that if you've never dealt with it before, it's there's crazy stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, you're. Yeah. You're dealing with questions like, do I let the lesbians hold hands and kiss in the service mm-hmm. or do we not? And what do I say when this, you know, person comes to me? I mean, just crazy yeah, stuff. Yeah, so yeah. let them experience that for a year before they go out and do it. And but uh, so kind of equipping, training and then resourcing that we want to um, we're raising money. We've got churches partnering uh, so that we can um bless churches with a decent amount of startup funds so that when they go that they can uh you know, invest the money to make a big dent in that really dark place for God. You had me at money. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we're like we're, Ron Solo said, I'm in it for the money, baby. Yeah. Everybody in our staff raises their support. So we don't have a lot of money, but we're putting in uh, 25,000 a year into it. We're getting a bunch of churches. They're putting in 12, 25, 50,000 a year so that we can resource church planners. Um, so we're talking about doing a coaching network. We're not there yet, but we've had a lot of churches that are like, man, I don't, I can't be a splogged up planter because i've just started already you know it's too late for me but i just love to get like consistent yeah. help and so yeah. um, i'm talking about how we might be able to do that awesome so, yeah right we're on. excited hey it's vince antonucci on the church planner podcast this has been peyton jones and pete mitchell if you want to check it out it's splagna.com and vince thanks for coming on thank man thank you guys so much man i love what you're doing thanks all right thanks well we're reminding you that if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music